Welcome to The Other Coast, a podcast dedicated to the Malibu meta in Los Angeles. My name is Jeff, and with me here is another SoCal player, Colgan. Hey, everyone. Hey, Colgan. Uh, so sadly, Jim couldn't make it to this episode, so we will catch up with him another time. This is our chance to talk smack about him, because uh, oh, today we thought... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> today we thought we might talk about you know what makes what makes someone a, a good player or a, a, rather a fun player to play against how to be a you know kind of a positive opponent some things we find maybe annoying about other people you know in in the abstract not going to try to shame anyone here uh but just you know generally how to be the best opponent you can be yeah so one one of the things we wanted to talk about and i guess we want to preface this episode with is that a lot of the things that we're going to mention i don't think are objectively like this makes you a terrible person if you do these things. Mm -hmm. A lot of these things are also just going to be kind of, if you possess kind of a different mindset towards gaming than your opponent, some of these things that are seen as harmless by other people or seen as a positive thing could actually be seen as negative. Right. And to kind of push back on not naming and shaming, I kind of wanted to call you out, Jeff. (laughs) So (laughs) when I play Malifaux, like I have a mindset where I always want to think that I'm giving my best and I always want my opponent to be kind of like playing their best. Not necessarily that I think I'm a perfect player and don't make any mistakes, but always putting forward their best effort or like, you know, playing as well as they can. Right. And you, Jeff, have a very self-deprecating nature when you play. Like, you'll be like, oh man, I made this mistake. I'm a terrible player. If I was a good player, I would have done this. And me on the other side of the table, who's like struggling to stay in this game. For me, it's like, okay, if he thinks he's a shit player, like where the fuck do I fall on this like? (laughs) (laughs) on this like hierarchy of being not terrible at this game when like i'm like struggling to hold on against this person who's like charging into a wall and like forgetting actions (laughs) (laughs) i I mean you know on my side i just i feel i feel the inefficiencies deep in my soul so when i when i make a mistake it's it's not you know i'm not trying to say like oh yeah i'm i'm beating you with one hand tied behind my back although you know now that you bring it up i guess i i could definitely see (laughs) um, i can definitely see how it comes across that way but you know it's that i'm trying to hold myself to a standard of play that i mean maybe higher than i can achieve regularly or maybe higher than you know i think that i am but that's what i'm trying to do and so when i fall short of that i i I don't know to, to me like calling it out helps me remember it Yeah, like, I mean, I don't, again, like, I don't think you're, like, a fucking terrible person for doing this, but it's just, like, can result in a slightly negative play experience, even though, you know, it's not anything that I think is objectively bad, right? If you're, like, oh, man, Colgan, you're a shit player, why the fuck are you doing this? Like, you know, then there's, like, well, Jeff's just kind of an asshole, and no one will play with him because he's an ass. Right. A lot of this is going to come down to, because gaming is, it's fundamentally a social interaction everything that's true about dealing with other people uh is true in malavo and then on top of that you have a game you're trying to play so you know the way i you know kind of my upbringing was that it's it's i don't know kind of blase to to compliment yourself or to speak highly against yourself and it's it's kind of expected to kind of try to acknowledge your shortcomings which I'm going to do by totally denying the entire premise of, uh, of your accusation <laughs> against me. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just, I think what this actually does say to me is, hey, look, you know, everyone brings 
some baggage to the game. And a lot of this episode, I think, is going to be talking about maybe instances where, you know, we found an experience maybe less than ideal. Um, but on the other side, there was probably absolutely no malicious intent. Right. Okay. So so then now that I don't just kind of come up as this naming and shaming asshole to kind of like <laughs> even it out, I'm, I'm curious, do you have any negative play experiences from playing with me? No, I mean, I love everything about you and Fuck. just fundamentally I'm shocked and saddened by this. It It has really just demolished the foundation of what I thought was a lifelong friendship. So I'm just going to quit this podcast now and never talk to you again. And I don't know, forget Malifaux. Maybe I'll take up War Machine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I mean, so... Okay, I mean, I don't want this to sound um, offensive, even though this this terminology is not generally seen as complimentary. Uh, But you actually do not provoke much of an emotional response from me at all like when when i play with you i feel like it's playing with a computer that's been programmed to be like politely friendly (laughs) Um, (laughs) and uh, like what it really reminds you of is when i was a kid my mom had this this program that plays cribbage Uh, my grandfather loved cribbage so so he, he taught me when i was really young and I used to play this this program, and one of the avatars was this dog, like this, uh, like the, the kind of dogs that they have those barrels and that like would hold whiskey, and they'd go and save people from snowdrifts. Oh, like this? Are they Saint Bernard's? Saint Bernard? Yeah. The, the isn't that the Beethoven dog? Have you ever seen um, that movie? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah Saint so, Bernard's. Yeah. 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 So I, I think that's what the avatar was, the, the Saint Bernard dog. And and basically, I mean, this dog was was tough. I only beat the dog about half the time. But when you are beating the dog, he's he's kind of he's he's like a mournful when he's doing badly, but in in a friendly way. And when he's winning, he's he's jovial but not arrogant. And, and so it's just, it's always nice to play against this dog, win or lose. And for whatever reason, when I play Malifaux with you, I'm reminded of that dog. Okay, I feel like this is way worse than what I said about you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm basically the equivalent of a digital cribbage playing dog. <laughs> you know what? It would probably be like what data from Star Trek would be like if if he played Malifaux, right? Obviously, Data's <laughs> gonna beat me because he's Data. Uh, <laughs> Wait, wasn't but, there an episode in Star Trek where Data plays a game and then he can't win, and the only thing he can do is just like tie it? Yeah, yeah, there is that episode, but it's a terrible. I mean, it's actually, actually the episode itself isn't that bad, but it's from that terrible season with Doctor Pulaski, so everyone kind of forgets about it. But yes, there is an episode uh, where the he loses to the guy playing. Um, it's not called Stratego, but in my mind, it's it's Stratego. Uh, well, um, now that we uh, know how we each really feel about the other. I think it's time to end the podcast. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> um, it's been a great, what, 10 episodes? Nine episodes? <laughs> uh, actually, yeah. What episode is this? I, I think it's 10 based on all uh, It should be episode nine. We were going to, we, we had to like postpone one of our recordings. Oh, that's right. Because Jim has a life. And can't make it every week. Yeah. So, yeah.
I'll curse you, Jim. When you, oh, I guess it'll be a solo <laughs> show now. We can just pass it off to him. Yeah, well, and but that means he's going to get to make this recording where we don't get to answer, and he's just going <laughs> to unload on us. Since we've both set the bar so savagely, <laughs> he can say whatever he wants. <laughs> Actually, yeah, is there anything about Jim that you remember just being like, well, you know, that kind of could have been better? I, I mean, it was just kind of like... You know, I, I talked about my first experience, and uh-huh. that's kind of what's, like, stuck in my mind. Like, again, nothing he did was bad, but he's just, like, uh, it was, I'm trying to think of a good way to explain it. Just, it felt like there's no chill. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, like, but, you know, I was appreciative of that. So, like, I, I much, like, overall, the experience of getting absolutely destroyed and dismantled by Jim, where he's like, has this counterattack and, like, all my shit doesn't work, is, like a much more positive play experience than like playing against you who's like oh man i'm so terrible at this game but i'm still kicking your sorry ass like just that unrelenting play style i find much more comforting yeah and i mean this is i i think a, a good a good time to bring up the fact that yeah you know there is no really there's no single baseline of how people respond to things right so uh, your response where you would actually prefer that someone win as hard as they can some other people are are going to say well you know if 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 they can still play reasonably but moderate a bit and we could have a game of it that might be preferable to others yeah and i i do remember that jim had mentioned that he had received you know some like criticisms about how he plays a little too ruthlessly in some cases and that he should tone it back a little bit but yeah you know like it all depends on who you're playing against like for me that ends up being a very positive play experience because like yeah i'm losing but i'm learning a lot in the process right for me personally i um you know there's that movie the princess bride Mm -hmm. and there's a scene where fezzik played by andre the giant is gonna gonna wrestle the hero wesley wesley's wesley's trying but you know fezzik is andre the giant so what are you gonna do and Andre the giant (laughs) is is mostly just standing there and so you know finally wesley gets gets mad he's saying like you know are are you just playing with me and and fezzik said well you know, I want you to feel you're doing well because I, I hate for you to die embarrassed. And, and that's just, you know, how I feel where if I can, you know, like noob stomp someone, is that likely to produce a, a pleasant experience for them? And this isn't a selfless behavior. It's not like, oh, I'm such a great guy. It, it's a, I want to play with this person again and, mm-hmm. you, you know, again and, and, and enough times, in fact, to where they're, I mean, they get to your state where they're beating me. And how likely am I going to get that result if I just obliterate them eight to zero here and it turns out i mean if they're like you that's what i should do but if they're if they're not and so a lot of this i think comes into you know being able to read cues from other people you know gaming like we said is a social activity yeah i I would definitely agree because you know if i've had demos with people and like they're helping me along and like whenever they do something turns out well for them and they're just like oh man i just got really lucky or it's like oh don't feel bad or like this and that and again just as far as personal things like i think in general your approach is probably the safer one to default to Mm -hmm. but for me yeah it's like when people are making excuses or trying to like salvage my feelings when they're beating me it just feels very like condescending and patronizing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it's like just kind of accept the fact that you you played better than me and like that's that's how it is. Right. You know, it's sometimes it's very hard to divorce your ego from the game. Mhm. I mean, I still have an emotional reaction to winning and losing. I'm not a complete digital cribbage playing robot. <laughs> 
But, you know, to me, like, I understand that me losing a game doesn't inherently diminish my value or it's not a reflection of who I am as a person. Right. But, you know, a lot of the times, like, especially when you first started getting in these games and especially when I was younger, that was very much the case. Like, winning or losing was how I proved whether or not I was, you know, like, an intelligent person or, like someone worthy of like playing this game or engaging in these like deep strategical uh, <laughs> war of the minds. Right. Yeah. Actually, you know, for me, I have kind of an unhealthy view towards competition in that like growing up, there was a lot of weight attached to winning. I, I used to play uh, chess somewhat seriously mm. defense uh, and, you know, just, just at home winning was a very valued virtue, but my response to that, was to kind of i guess i guess drain winning of any any emotional joy Mm -hmm. so for me i would much rather have a game where interesting things happened and that the game itself was notable than a win since i've played malifaux for you know a number of years now the individual result of a of a game two years ago like doesn't really matter right but i know that two years from now, I'll still be talking about the time my corpse candle killed Hamelin. <laughs> you know, I lost that game, right? But my corpse candle killed Hamelin. Oh, <laughs> uh, rip Hamelin. <laughs> so, which I think brings up another point, And it's that, okay, now that we've learned that we're diametrically opposed, should we just <laughs> never play each other again? And the answer is no, because we can both derive enjoyment from the exact same game. Because our value system, you know, what we want from the experience is is not the same. Right, right. So then I guess to kind of like maybe talk about in general, are there like a general play experiences that you feel like are majority negative and things that I guess we should be on the watch out for? Maybe things you've done in the past that you now recognize are maybe some patterns you should avoid in the future if you want to kind of, you know, like create um an atmosphere or like you know be able to continue like building a community or playing games or as many games as you can with whoever's around right we're not talking about anyone specific but i want to call it out again because i don't you know this is a podcast for our local meta if uh, i'm not saying our, our local players are glued to it although you know why wouldn't they be with such gripping repartee that we have yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so just you know to emphasize again this is this is general this is not specific to anyone I personally find insisting on a constant and high degree of precision to be annoying. This isn't say like, I mean, this isn't just move your model wherever you want and do whatever you want, right? But, you know, at at the same time, just having to be exact to the millimeter on everything or, you know, if there's a, a, like a rules interpretation that's like reasonable people can differ, you know, it's not spelled out in the rules, Maybe in the past, I would have been the kind of person who who wanted them, you wanted my opponent to acknowledge that I was logically correct. Whereas <laughs> now at this point, I'm much more like, you know, let's just do it, whatever. Um, you know, flip a card if we have to, or roll a die if we really can't resolve it. But yeah, to me, I, and you know, I don't want to call it rules lawyering because I don't want to give it a negative connotation. There's nothing wrong with wanting to play a precise game by the rules. But I just, I tend to find that kind of value system to be at odds with the more laxed atmosphere that I'm looking for. Uh, what about you? I I would generally agree with that. I think that there are definitely times, you know, the rules aren't very clear and they need to be dug into. But 
you know, whenever that happens in a game, I try to do my best to not let it stop the game. Mm -hmm. And I'll generally agree in whatever rule favors my opponent because that's more likely to get the result of moving the game on. With casual games, you know, in probably like a month, I'm not even going to remember who won or lost that game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, afterwards, we can have a discussion on the rules when it's not immediately relevant to the result of the game, and it's much easier to have that conversation. Right. I, I think within our meta, you're more or less considered to be kind of like the arbiter of the rules. Not, not like in a negative sense, but if there's an argument, you're the one that spends, I feel like, the most time, like reading through the rules, checking FAQs and going online on the weird forums and like trying to make sure you have a good understanding of any rules that are not abundantly clear with how they're written. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because like in person, you're, you know, you're very cordial, you're very logical and I appreciate your explanations and you're very kind about it. But whenever <laughs> I read your posts online, <laughs> it feels like you've morphed into a completely different person. <laughs> and it's just like, it's just like, really funny seeing that like the change in like how you present and do things in person when we're at the shop and how you introduce these rules versus when you're arguing with random internet strangers yeah i mean i have to own that it's true and you know part of it might you know again be the internet bubble right like the keyboard tough guy but i actually i think the larger part of it is that you know the day job i went to law school you know as a practicing litigator i, I don't do litigation anymore but i learned to write in they call it a persuasive style but it's actually i mean it's it's fairly insulting as a style if you read most legal briefs because what you're supposed to do is you start, you lay out the facts of the case in the situation that's, uh, or in light that's most positive to your side. Right. Then you raise your opponent's arguments just to demolish them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you raise your own, uh, which you've actually been doing the whole time, but you just do it in a formal manner. And so because I have learned to write in that style, some of it does creep in even if I don't intend to. But also, I think I write with a higher degree of precision than maybe a lot of people expect. Mm -hmm. It's like the words I choose, I, I've chosen for a reason, right? They, they mean a particular thing. Right. And because the internet has no no tone, no inflections, and, you know, they can't see that I'm like a five foot five, you know, little guy who can't hurt anyone. It's, it's, very, it's very easy, I think, to read it in a different tone. Yeah. And I, I guess to dig into that and like kind of more in defense, like what I really appreciate when you go through the rules is that you always provide a basis for why you believe this. And you're always very open to say in certain cases where like in the end, because of this and this, this is my this is my belief on how the rule should be played out. But you'll readily admit when like there is not enough material to say that this is the correct way to play this out. This is just my interpretation based on this information. And the last part where you actually make your recommendation, you will fully admit that it's a jump and you can't support that this is the way it should be played and this is how it should be played. Yeah, that's like my actually big pet peeve in internet discussions is that I think they're very, they're very reductive, right? People just lay out a conclusion. Uh, they don't show their work. You, you, you know, I guess my, my math teachers would be proud of me. <laughs> you know people don't show their work online they don't allow wiggle room I, or, or you know allow for the the you know the possibility that they could be wrong um and again i'm speaking you know generally i'm sure many people don't do this but a lot of internet discussions are are just held at a at a very reflexive and i mean dare i say primitive level that makes it really uh, impossible to evaluate a lot of these claims and i think 
in a stunning number of cases, people who are arguing on the internet may even actually agree with each other. They're just not articulating themselves, I guess, as clearly as they should. Uh, but that being said, when Weird release their clarifications and they end up coming on my side, like I definitely feel like I've won, which is probably not an emotionally mature response. <laughs> I remember that day when like printed in and you came to the shop, you had like the biggest fucking shit eating green <laughs> on your face, like because <laughs> like you could go back to all those forum posts and be like, "This is my interpretation," and like everything you cited and everything kind of fell in line. <laughs> <Just> like... <laughs> batting 1000 <laughs> batting 1000 but you know i think some of my you know my form bet noirs some of the people i you know I, I tend to be at odds with part of the reason why i find dealing with them a bit frustrating is i often feel like they're not even bothering to read what i write which because i write with an intended degree of precision mm-hmm. just kind of makes me feel like well why are we you know why are we still arguing because you're not you're not understanding what i'm saying mm-hmm. But of course, you know, I say why are we still arguing. I'm still going to answer this guy's, you know, next 12 posts. So right. why we're arguing is because apparently I'm a child in need of validation. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that, what are some other, you know, what are some kind of kind of abstracted, not personally identifying, but what are some traits of players that you find to be kind of annoying? So there, there is one trait that I would think most people could agree is universally bad. If you can identify yourself in this, then I think it's probably a good idea to think about how you schedule your time. This better um, not be about painting. Say, hmm? This better not be about painting. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'll let you interpret that. Um, for, for me, it would be punctuality, uh-huh. right? So if, you know, you set up a game at like 2 p.m., you show up to the shop at 2 p.m., and then your opponent isn't there, they're not responding to anything, and then, like, at 5 p.m., they're like, oh, sorry, I don't think I can make it. To me, that that's a very negative experience, and it's definitely going to make me hesitant to try and make plans with this person in the future. Mm-hmm. If I'm going out to the hobby shop and I'm, you know, expecting a game, taking this time out of my day, if you can't make it, that's fine. Just, like, give me a notice. But to, like, be unresponsive and just, like, completely ignore the time is, I feel, very disrespectful of the other person's time. And, like, you know, like you said, it's a social interaction. I don't think it's unreasonable to be upset when someone says they'll be somewhere at a certain time and then just completely ghosts you. Right. Yeah. And I mean, this is one of the things where because we're playing a game, you know, on a certain emotional level, it might be like, well, you know, it's a game. I And I had something else I had to take care of. And that's fine. But it's not just a game. It's an obligation you've made to another person. And so part of that is if you can't uphold that obligation anymore, you should at least let that other person know, right? So yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with Punxanti. And, and I also say, yeah, and, and, and as someone who invites people to, to try to demo a lot, so I'm, I'm often the initiator in, in these encounters, you want to make it so that people feel free to say no. But yes should mean something, right? So if they've, if they've said they're going to show up, they should, or at least they should tell you that they're not going to. Yeah, I'm not going to hold it against someone if they're like, oh, no, I forgot I had to do something that, you know, it's like I have to go to the bank or I have to run an errand. Like, I'm not going to hold it against them if they cancel it. That's something I feel like isn't unreasonable to know, like, hour or two before, like, the appointed meeting time. If you're just, like, messaging, like, one minute before, it's like, oh, no, shit, I forgot. I actually have to do something. I can't make it. Then it's like, I'm probably already at the shop. Right. If you can't make it, fine. Just 
make sure that you let the person know and give a reasonable amount of time so they can adjust their plans, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to be annoyed if someone cancels, like, two hours before the game and it's like, okay, well, I just won't go into the shop. Yeah, so, I mean, to draw a line under, under I guess, you know, bring it back to the subject, one way that you can make sure that you are a pleasant opponent to people is to show up on time uh, and prepare to play. And if that's not possible for whatever reason, you know, to provide as much notice as possible. And, hey, look, people are they're fundamentally understanding, right? So if something came up, they're going to understand. And if, you know, and obviously, you know, life happens and tragedy happens and we hope nothing, you know, we hope people don't experience those things, but they are going to happen. And so I think the more considerate you are, the more understanding other people are going to be when you need it. So here's another, I guess, uh, a topic. Well, I guess I need these to be topics, but uh, here's here's another um Another common behavior that people have a varying degrees of acceptance with. How do you feel about trash talking, Colden? Ooh, trash talking. Um, I think if like both people again, this is like a mindset thing. If people are both comfortable with it, like I think it can be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I I would say don't do it with someone if it's your first time meeting them. Right. This is this is something I would err on the side of caution. If you're not sure how the person would respond to it, like definitely just like don't do it. Uh huh. But yeah, I think, you know, games with Malfo, especially when you're playing with someone a long time, like it, it definitely has its place. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think trash talking that that's personal is different than, you know, talking within the context of the game or, you know, something that happened in a game. Right. Like my corpse candle totally beat down Hamelin. You, you know, you're that's, just going to ride that high forever, aren't you? I am. I mean, that was amazing. <laughs> it made it worth losing. But, you, you know, when, when you say something like that, you, you're not saying, you know, the message isn't, oh, you're so stupid and I'm so great. It's look at this weird thing that happened that we got to experience. Right. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of trash talking that people find offensive is, you know, of the hurtful kind that's kind of personal. Like, uh, you know, you're so bad. Uh, you know, your mom is so fat. Like, you, you know, those kinds of things mm-hmm. that don't have any direct connection to the game. My personality is, is uh, like in person, as, as you mentioned, it's a bit it's a bit more sedate than probably, you know, kind of like the, the normative American male personality. And and one of the people that, that I play with at the store, he's more boisterous. And ordinarily, I think that kind of personality would get on my nerves. But I really enjoy playing with him because everything he's talking about is relating directly to the things that are happening in the game. And so, I, you know, I, I appreciate that. So I, I guess that kind of brings up a tangential thing. As far as like personal attacks, in general, I agree with you. But like there's, there's some people I play with that I have a very personal relationship and we banter with each other a lot. Mm-hmm. So definitely be personal attacks. But both of us know that we're not being serious about it. Do you think that that has an effect on other people in the store? You know, if like I'm just tearing into this person and they don't actually understand that we're very friendly? I think it could. Okay, okay. But for, for those of you playing the drinking game, the other course drinking game, it depends. Your context is everything right so two people who are having fun with each other like the words almost don't matter right like if you if you recorded their their game with a camera but but put it on mute i think you can tell two people who are having fun as opposed to two people who are not having fun without Mm -hmm. the dialogue Mm -hmm. and so then you know in a way what's being said is almost irrelevant i mean i don't really know if that answers your point but i have that relationship with some people as well so I'm not saying don't ever go personal with me, but maybe if we've just met each other for the first time, you don't have to slam the weird mole I have under my lip. (laughs) So 
how do you deal with people and and they're generally losing and i mean for lack of a better word they're, they're kind of whiny about everything that's happened um i i usually just take it with a grain of salt when you're in the moment and you know like everyone feels shitty when they flip like a black joker on something that should have been like a surefire thing mm-hmm. when the emotions are running strong like i think it's very common to like kind of have those negative feelings and you know i i think when you say someone's whiny it's just that they tend to verbalize those negative emotions more not necessarily that you know everyone feels bad it's just right. some people tend to verbalize it and you know like you were saying for yourself deprecating stuff like you verbalizing it kind of helps you process it mm-hmm depending on who it is like for me it comes off as being more negative because like oh shit i must fucking suck at this game so i usually take it with a grain of salt and then like you know in the post game i'll kind of talk it through and if they seem receptive i'll say like you know in this situation like maybe these are some things you could have done to avoid these situations in the future and i find that most people that you know you might think were like whining during the game are actually very receptive to this kind of like post game talk and you know looking back on it when they're kind of a little bit more emotionally removed from the situation are very receptive and like understanding that okay it wasn't just you know my luck was bad it was that positioning here could have been better or the strategy or the scheme that I was actually aiming for wasn't actually as attainable as I thought it was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah no, I mean that's probably the right approach you know for me my instinct in the moment is very much to commiserate mm-hmm. because I generally find expressions especially relating to luck right? You know, the cards are against me or, you know, I, I can't roll a save to save my life. You, you know, things like that. I mean, you hear things like that in games, right? Right. They're not looking for a rational discussion, right? They're mm. they're expressing frustration. And to me, the way to, to be respectful of that emotion is to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. By commiserating, I feel like it's the way I can acknowledge it in a way that isn't going to be patronizing or offensive, right? Right. So even even if I feel like I've actually had less fortune th- than them, because I've actually, you know, I've had this, I've had someone do this when they're winning, right? It's not necessarily tied to, to winning and losing. It could just be somebody's response to an unexpected or unlikely averse effect. Yeah, I, I just tend to be like, oh man, yeah, you can't fight the deck. Yeah, and I, I think, again, it's like, depending on who you're playing against, it'll change like how they want the opponent to treat them or how they expect to be treated. Because I, I remember, you know, I talked in the past about how I played a lot of Underworlds. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was playing one game and like everything I rolled was like misses. I couldn't hit anything. Or if I did hit my opponent, no matter what, managed to like dodge and not take any damage. And like after the game, um, he was just very apologetic. He's like, oh, man, like I was so lucky and everything. It's like, yeah, terrible luck. And he's like, you know, it could have been different. It's like everything. And like to me it was kind of like patronizing. Like I understand how dice work. I mean, you know, like I, I mean, he wasn't being an ass. Like he was very friendly. I understood like he was trying to like save my feelings because I imagine a lot of people who play with would get very salty and upset about it. Yeah. But like, to me, it was just kind of like, I understand how dice work. <laughs> I understand the nature of this game. Like there's going to be times I'm just going to roll shit and anything I do is going to fail. And like, conversely, there's going to be times where my opponent rolls terrible and everything goes against them. And I feel like to me, by invalidating your win because of like your rolls, then you're also invalidating any future victories I could have if I roll well. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's true, right? And an underlying rationale behind I lost because I did badly is you won because you were lucky, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly not very nice. In terms of your own behavior, uh, to put you on the spot, 
is there anything that you do that you think in retrospect maybe people may not respond to in the way that you intended? How I handle situations and things like that? Or yeah, or like, you know, if, if some hypothetical person were to be like, oh, yeah, you know, I like playing with Colgan, except this is like, this is the thing about Colgan. You know, what do you think ends that sentence? Mm, that's a good question. I, I think maybe one of the things could be that I'm pretty strict about adhering to rules. Mm-hmm. I want movements to be done according to the rules, you know, like making sure they're properly accounting for rough terrain or like where their bases are hitting. I want the game to be played as close as reasonably possible. That is to like how the game is intended to be played via the rules. Mm hmm. I personally don't feel that I'm like overly strict about things. I'll let people take back moves or if they're doing something that's unoptimal to what goal they're trying to achieve. I, you know, I might talk them through and say, oh, you could do this instead to achieve the same result. But, you know, it's like you're not spending extra cards or you're not taking a risk. Mm -hmm. But I could definitely see that rubbing people in the wrong way making it just come up like I'm always just trying to bring up all these rule things to stop them from actually winning or like I'm trying to twist the game in my favor. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're fairly insufferable. So <laughs> no, I, I'm a I, fucking I, dog. I, Fuck off. <laughs> you know, it, to, to the extent that it makes you feel better, I think you're definitely a charitable opponent. And the times when, you know, when when you call someone on, on something or, you know, like, be like, oh, yeah, I'm not really sure if you can really get there. Uh, y- your accuracy rate is pretty high, frustratingly. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, for what it's worth, I, I don't think that's really anything you have to be too concerned about. Yeah, it might be true, but um, still think it's a good thing to keep in mind when you're playing. Mm-hmm. Just things that could be possibly negative. And, like, honestly, in some cases, it might just be worth it. I do want to make sure the game is played as close to the rules as possible because I feel like that's the point of playing a game, right? You're playing within this agreed upon framework. And the further you diverge from that, the farther you're getting away from the game you're actually playing. Right. If I'm seen as being overly bearing, like, of course, that's not something I want all the time. But I also accept in some cases, even though I'm not, or most people would think that I'm just trying to adhere to the rules, some people might have a very negative experience with that. And I guess in that case, like, I'm not going to completely change how I handle that just to try and cater to, like, the very small amount of people that might think I'm going too far. Right. Yeah, I mean, you can't make everyone happy all the time. And I think, you know, the term rules lawyer gets gets thrown around, I think, much too cavalierly. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, a, a rules lawyer is someone who will adopt an overly technical analysis to everything. And so there's no context in terms of importance Right. And so mm-hmm. part of what makes playing with them exhausting is that it just it takes forever to do everything. Because, you know, when I play when I play casual Malifaux, yeah, you know, maybe that maybe all the movements aren't exact to the millimeter. Right. Right. But the time that you that you save and, and the hassle and kind of the emotional drain and, and the mental drain, because Malifaux is not an easy game to play. It might be more than makes up for it. Yeah. Then I guess turning the question back around to you, are there personalities or aspects of how you play that you think would contribute to a negative experience for your opponent? Well, I mean, obviously there there are. Uh, it's hard, I think, to necessarily understand what's annoying about oneself. So, you know, maybe mm-hmm. I, I don't really appreciate it very well. One thing, you know, I have a personality trait where I interrupt people. I've kind of done it all my life, but really it, it came up when I was, you know, practicing criminal defense attorney because... I need to know what I need to know in the order that I need to know it 
and then all this extraneous stuff about anything else that's going wrong in your life. I am genuinely sorry about it. But we have, you know, we have to be in front of the judge in like two minutes. So <laughs> let's let's just try to get through this conversation. So that is a personal bad habit that I have, and I try to work on it. But ultimately, you know, what I'm going to say is just much more important than what anyone else is going to say anyway. So <laughs> I'm, the conversation is just net gaining when I interrupt people. Other than that, so there is a very particular thing with demos, which I thought was being helpful. But I was doing a demo for someone who, a friend of one of our, our local our local players. And, you know, I was trying to explain, you know, he was trying to figure out how to do something. I was trying to explain how he could do it. And, you know, he was kind of talking his process out and I was saying, well, you could do this. And he said, well, actually, could you, you know, not tell me because I, I prefer to work it through on my own, which, you know, obviously is, is entirely legitimate. But I, you know, I personally failed to kind of understand his process and I might have been kind of too guiding, which is something it's something demos actually can fall victim to. And then I guess kind of maybe a final thing, which I don't do all the time, but maybe, and, and maybe not switching mouth up, but in other games, I don't always maybe provide the play experience that someone else wants. And, and what I'm thinking of in particular is magic. So I like magic in a very particular way. I don't like any of the constructed formats of magic because it's just, it's too efficient. It produces a game that I can admire, I guess, mathematically, but I don't like the kind of play in like standard or, you know, legacy or any of those like highly tuned settings. I like draft mm -hmm. and I like to draft five colors and, you know, sometimes my decks work, sometimes they don't. But if I'm playing someone and my deck doesn't work, you know, because they didn't draw the right color or whatever, which, you know, these things are going to happen from time to time in draft in five colors. The person, even if they beat me, they didn't get to play a game of magic. They played their stuff. I just sat there tried to tried to draw a swamp, right? And I didn't, so I never I never played anything. I'm not saying I would have won with a swamp. I'm saying I actually didn't provide a magic experience at all. Mm -hmm. And you know, I guess to bring it to Malifaux, there are times when I will just play a list that I want to play, and it's not a joke list. It's not that oh, I I picked these five teams because I, you know, they all resemble members of the A team. And so I'm just trying to like do some sort of kitsch 80s thing. The list will make sense, but it might not be, you know, the kind of list that's going to deliver sort of a, you know, quote unquote Malifaux game experience to someone. I'm, I'm sure uh, when, when our local, when our other local players hear this, they can, they can fill in the blanks for us, what we do. <laughs> <laughs> when you said like non-Malifaux experience, all I could think about was running Yoko with uh, Sami. Okay, oh yeah, I, I have a defense to, you know I have a defense to that, but we won't, we won't get into that. But actually. My defense is I wanted to do it. <laughs> I mean, but, so that is the thing, right? I am. I mean, I wouldn't say emotionally invested, but Malifaux is one of my uh, larger spare time investments. And, and so part of that is just thinking about these various lists that I would like to make. And because I get to think about far more lists than I ever get to play, it sometimes means that unfortunate things hit the table in unfortunate times. <laughs> <laughs> you just sound like it's some kind of random act of God. It's like, uh, I'm sorry that you had to come up against this list It's a today. Jeff Cain. No, no one can predict. No one can predict the Jeff Quake. It just, it, you know. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, aside from kind of, um, you know, like these personal pet peeves, which are, I guess, maybe kind of inherent to to someone. There's, there's also uh, at the board, right? Maybe not necessarily so connected to to a person, like these negative play experiences. 
and, and like we kind of touched on on one where like a game is is just so precise that playing it takes forever and, and is mentally draining. You know, I think a lot of people would describe that as a a negative play experience. For me, another like kind of negative play experience is just seeing proxy models everywhere. Like in my opinion, mm. if someone wants to try a model before buying it, I mean that's fine. And if they want to try a couple of models, you know that's fine. I don't mind a proxy or two in a casual game, but I don't want to be playing with someone who is taking Hinomatsu for the fourth time and they're still, you know, representing them with an empty 40 mil base that says, you know, Hinomatsu written on it. I, I guess in that case, does the quality of the proxy matter to you at all? So if like they have a like puppet like thing from another game and they're using it as Hinomatsu, will that like extend the amount of time you're okay with them using it as a proxy? Or is it after like four or five games, just just get the Hinomatsu model so I don't have to keep in like filling in the uh, gaps. Uh, I mean, there is a clear distinction, I think, between a conversion and a proxy, right? If someone has made like, you know, mm-hmm. a badass model that they want to be Hinomatsu, I'm of course, I'm all for that. If it's just that, oh, I bought this like pre-primed D&D miniatures and I just glued it onto a 40 mil base and that's my Hinomatsu. Maybe it sounds silly to talk about immersion in a miniature war game because, you know, it's not generally thought of as an immersive experience. But at the same time, you know, I am playing Malifaux. I'm not playing checkers, right? These these models, they have names, they have backstories, and, and you know, there's a, a setting, and that's part of what brings me to the game. I mean, I, I would kind of disagree that immersion isn't part of the experience because, I mean, the most common thing that people advise when you're first starting the game is the rule of cool like you go for the model lines or the stuff that you think look great so i mean obviously a lot of people feel like the look or the style of these miniatures does play a big part in the game mm-hmm. right or else like everyone would be fine like all right let's just get some bases like write a name on it and play the game because from a technical level there's absolutely no difference i don't have like an advantage because I have a Hinu Matsu model over your 40 right. millimeter base. Yeah, no, I mean, that's true. You know, what's like another negative play experience that you, you know, that you might have in mind? I, I, I guess this might also might not be directly tied to the game, but I, I would think that hygiene could definitely result in a negative play experience. I guess this falls more under kind of like the social realm of things. Mm-hmm. right because you know these games are going to be like anywhere from two to four hours depending on how comfortable or you are with the game mm-hmm. and you know if the person that you're playing with is very like unkempt obviously haven't taken any effort to kind of maintain a certain level of personal hygiene it can be an unpleasant experience playing with them mm-hmm. so I, I guess you know what i would say is just you know make sure that before you stop at the store, take a shower, maybe just make sure your clothes are kind of clean or at least not diffusing some kind of unpleasant odor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, try and keep these things in mind. You know, it's like you are going out in public, you are interacting with other people. And if you do, I guess, want to keep making sure that you're getting in these games, you want to give as few reasons as possible for people not to want to play with right. you again. Yeah. And I mean, this is a really awkward subject to broach. Uh, because it is so intensely personal, right? But, you know, I think ultimately we're all going to share this space together. We all want it to be as pleasant as possible. And so that means, you know, we all have to do our parts, right? And I think part of what makes talking about this difficult is that, you know, oftentimes, like, someone who maybe struggles with a, with a hygiene practice, 
it, it's easy, I think, to think bad things about them, like, oh, they're, they're unclean or whatever. When, you know, the reality is there are numerous medical conditions that can produce effects that other people find unpleasant to be around, right? And those aren't necessarily, you know, no one's to blame for a medical condition. Right. You, you know, again, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to call myself out here. I have damaged teeth from my orthodontist. I have damaged teeth and gums from when I was a kid, really fucked up my, 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 my teeth and gums. And I, and, and so I have lifelong damage. And as a result, you know, my gums do, uh, are, they're more susceptible to like infection and stuff like that. And so, you know, I understand that I am at a greater risk of, you know, not having a pleasant breath. And, and if I'm doing demos, I'm going to be talking to people kind of closely, right? Mm-hmm. And so because I am sense about myself, it's something that I try to take extra steps to fix. But also it may not, you know, there, there's probably times when it's not possible to fix. And, and so it's just something I think you have to understand about yourself and just be mindful of the other people who are in your space. Yeah, I think that's definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, on that note, since we've kind of covered, I think, a few of what we think are negative play experiences and considering you're kind of the organizer of our local meta do you have any i guess advice or techniques that you use when approaching certain problem players and maybe discussing their behavior or is that something you even broach is it something you kind of skirt around or i guess how do you how, how do you try and deal with these issues once you view that they're a problem so everyone grab your shark glasses because it depends if it's something minor, I just endure it. Thomas Jefferson said that experience has proven that men will bear ills while they're bearable, right? So, mm-hmm. you, you know, I come here to play games. If there's something about someone that I just find, you know, a little off-putting, you know, I just endure it. And I don't see the net gain from confronting it to be high enough for myself or the group. Mm-hmm. If it's something major and it's... If it's major and it's correctable, that is something that I've had to deal with before in in the context of role-playing games, not ever in uh, miniatures games. But I've run a number of role-playing games over the years, uh, and sometimes you get these personality conflicts in the group. And if it's between particular people, I have to find it's best to address it head-on outside the game environment. Just be like, you know, player A and player B, like I've noticed... Like this is going on, and, and this is kind of how I felt, and I think it's providing, you know, it's it's provoking this kind of response. So let's kind of talk about it. Whereas if it's just like one person's at fault, like they're just there's only one input, right? Then I will I will address it if I think it's something correctable. If it's something like the person's horrible, you know, like anything racial, no, I I, I still I don't have time for this, right? Like I, I'm I've actually I've played a a game with 40k uh, many years ago with someone who then just in passing after the game used a, a slur about Arabs and, and I, I've never played with that person again right so I for me there are hard lines but mm. they're pretty distant and I'm willing I'm willing to like if you if you think about this as a spectrum I'm willing to endure like 80 percent and I'm willing to address you know 97 percent and then three percent it's just like okay like you can go fuck off right and sometimes it's even things that i don't think you know sometimes i have to moderate my behaviors that i don't think are a problem like i've played i've played games with someone who was uh like very religious Mm -hmm. and so words that okay obviously you know fuck is fuck right but you know like words like oh i got screwed like that would bother this person oh okay okay and because they were otherwise you know a pleasant person and and because i could I could make this change to my own behavior 
and preserve an otherwise fun interaction, I just went ahead and did it. So sometimes even if I don't think I'm quote unquote at fault, if I can resolve it through my own actions, I'm more likely to do that than to try to fix someone else. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Oh, but uh, now that we're on subject, uh, I have been meaning to talk to you about your rules lawyering. You have some time. <laughs> Which rule do you want to fight about, huh? Do you want to do this on the forums? I have to do it on the forums. I can't, I can't argue with you here. <laughs> okay, but enough about bad things, because uh, yeah, we've spent a lot of time ragging on people. Which, again, we want to emphasize... Uh, when we say we're not talking about anyone in particular, that's not a, a cop out. We're not really talking about you, but not talking about you. You know, we're trying to identify traits kind of in the abstract. So what are some like positive steps you think someone can take to be a good opponent? So I guess the easy answer would be to say, you know, kind of do the opposite of the negative behaviors we put out. You know, always try to be on time. If you can't make it to something, make sure to let your opponent know well ahead of time so they can change their plans accordingly. Mm -hmm. um another thing that i think is good is to be in, in casual games especially to be charitable to your opponent i know we've discussed in the past like how do you handle things if someone you know forgets to stone for a suit before they flip a card for something that they most likely would have used that stone for like for instance if they're summoning a unit and they don't have the right card or suit in hand but they have enough stones. I mean, most people would have stoned for that. And if they forget to do it, I don't think it's like, you know, a huge issue to say like, okay, you can go ahead and just burn the stone and add that suit now since, you know, that was obviously your intention. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, things like declaring triggers, right? Oh, like they forgot to declare a trigger. You know, should should definitely let them do that. But, you know, that sounds kind of kind of obvious and trivial. But the reason I bring it up is I was playing a game. I forget who my opponent was, but they had one of the writers with their damage reduction triggers. Mm -hmm. But they didn't understand the rules well enough. So they thought that they could spend the fate tokens to declare how many rams they needed after the flips. You know, when they saw the damage rather than, you, you know, when they... when During the reaction trigger. Exactly. And, and so in that case, I was like, yeah, well, that, you know, that's fine. Go ahead and, and spend the fate tokens to, to declare the trigger. And like we said, a lot of this is my context, right? This is, this is a, if you have the sense that the mistake was genuine, I agree. I pretty much always let people, in fact, I mean, to be honest, I can't think of a th time when I've said someone couldn't take something back in a casual game and people haven't really asked in, in a competitive game. But yeah, you, the more charity you show, the more charity you're likely to get, right? If not in a specific instance, at least over the long run. Yeah, and something I think it also contributes to is something, a phrase I've heard thrown around a little bit is kind of the learning mentality versus, I guess, the winning mentality. Mm -hmm. So for me, casual games are a way to improve your play and to try and learn more about the game. Mm -hmm. And if you, you know, if you want to go to the competitive level, that's when you're actually putting all of this into practice. Right. So until then, it's like, you know, generally you want to be charitable and you want to kind of create this environment where people feel free to experiment or, you know, they don't feel like missing the timing on a specific thing is going to result in them losing. And I think that's also where you get into the idea of rules lowering, having a very negative connotation, or that's when it's generally used. Like mm -hmm. in the case of the writer, I think it's very understandable to not think that you need to declare the damage reduction before the damage is flipped 
because any other time you do damage reduction, it's either automatic or it happens after you know how much damage you've taken. Right. Right. It's like the riders, I think, are very unique in the fact that you declare it after you've lost the duel, but before any damage has actually been flipped for. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's a very understandable mistake. And, you know, someone who doesn't run riders all the time, like it's going to happen on a fairly regular basis because the timing is not obvious. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think that's a good way to put it that sort of describes the, you know, the entire phenomenon. One way I think people can be good opponents is to kind of handle corner cases the same way, you know, no matter who, no matter who would benefit, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of these corner cases, oftentimes any of the resolutions are kind of valid. It's just, you know, you should be using the same one every time. So one example I think of is what to do when too many cards are flipped. You know, this is actually not uncommon, right? To just accidentally flip too many cards or to, to have been like, oh yeah, I, I thought I was focused, but I, I forgot I wasn't or, you know, whatever. It, it's, it's, we're flipping cards, so it's going to happen that you might flip too many. You know, my expectation is that people should actually reshuffle their entire deck, right? You put that card back on and reshuffle it. But other people have other ways to resolve it. Uh, some just put them right back on top in the order that they would have come in. You know, some other people have maybe a different resolution. To me, the resolution, the actual way that you handle it doesn't matter. I just think it should be handled the same way every time. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. As long as you're keeping it consistent and it's not like for your opponents, like, oh, you have to reshuffle your deck. But for me, I'm just going to put them up back on top of my deck just so I, I kind of know what's coming. Right. It, <laughs> right. It's like giving yourself an unfair advantage. And, and I think that's one of the things that I think people will react to, right? If you're charitable or at least you're very consistent in how uh -huh. you handle situations then even if it might produce like a slightly negative reaction in the person they're not going to have an overall negative opinion of you because they understand that this is how you resolve these situations and that you're being consistent in how you act mm -hmm. whereas like you know if you're only bringing up these like edge case rules when it's going to benefit you but then when it doesn't benefit you you're all hush people are going to react to that as well. Like even if you're resolving these rules correctly, if you're being unnecessarily harsh or like critical of your opponent and very lax on yourself, then people are going to have a very negative opinion of you instead of, you know, just like chalking it off to like, oh, maybe you forgot it. So I guess this idea of having consistency in your actions and people react to that. And over time, generally people will be more willing to play with you even if they might have slightly negative feelings about certain things you do. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And I think a lot of this just, again, comes down to you want to foster an environment where people feel that the, you know, the deck isn't rigged, right? To I guess to use an expression which is particularly apropos to Malifaux. So something else that I think people can do to be good opponents is to learn the rules, right? To, to take a proactive effort to learn the rules. You know, I, I understand it. You do a demo and you play a couple games, you know, you're learning. Um, in fact, everyone is always learning. It's been said on other podcasts, and I totally agree that there's no such thing as a game of Malifaux that's been played 100% correctly. So I'm not saying that only new players need to worry about this. But especially if you are a newer player and you feel like you're not as solid on the rules as you could be, I actually find it an issue of consideration. You know, it's about preparation. I think if you come to the game having made an effort to learn the rules, that is more considerate than 
you know, just having a, a demo and then just relying on your opponent to just always understand the finer points of the game. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would also just want to add in something that if you're not sure about the rule, I think as long as you ask before you take the action, people also react a lot more favorably to that. Right. Well, and the thing is too, nobody, or okay, I can't actually say that, but virtually nobody wants to win the game because their opponent didn't understand a rule, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, that just, it's not fun. It, it doesn't feel good for, for either player. And you, this actually, I think, goes back to maybe one of the things we were talking about in terms of player improvement. Asking questions, it, you, it's not a sign of weakness. It, 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 you know, it, it's not a burden on, on your opponent. It's, there's nothing negative about asking uh, a clarifying question. So I guess to maybe pull away from the individual level, look at this from the point of view of organizers, how do you feel, you know, suppose, suppose you're, you know, Malifaux Night or Malifaux Day and, and the players are in. How important do you think it is to, like, proactively arrange matches of, of appropriate skill? I, I feel like if there's, like, a newer player who's only played, like, one game, it can be very beneficial to, like, pair them up against with a more experienced player. Mm-hmm. To kind of, like, help them out a bit more and, like, go through the rules. Obviously, you want to pick someone who, you know, is willing to go through that. If someone's there for, like, the, you know, they're prepping for a tournament or they want a more serious game, then they're probably not the best person to match up with. Mm-hmm. I, I guess this still kind of goes back to knowing your players, knowing their mindsets. I don't think it's of utmost important that you're trying to make games as close as possible. I think the thing that I would I would look out for more is making sure that the people that are playing are kind of compatible and mm-hmm. I guess their goals for the game or what they're trying to accomplish. Right. Yeah, I mean I think that that last point is is spot on, right? I mean that's really what you're what you're looking for and if you know two people just are not really going to get on, it, it's kind of I mean almost pointless to to pair them up against each other if it can be avoided, right? So maybe another, you know, another thing I think organizers might think about in terms of like trying to be a, a pleasant organizer is is trying to, I mean, pressure is kind of a an unhappy word, but you know, encourage people to play games. You know, especially if your meta's been going for a while, and uh, if you haven't been able to add a bunch of consistent new people. You know, it, it might become a bit stale and, and people might lose interest. And as an organizer, you know, you might actually kind of come to see that as sort of a, a, I don't know, a personal failing, like you haven't done enough or a personal shortcoming, like, oh, well, they just don't think, you know, what you're providing or what you're trying to provide is, is fun enough. But what, do you, what are some steps that you think people can take to kind of encourage games in a healthy way? And what do you think organizers should do? in response to these to these lulls that maybe uh, would be healthier than badgering people into games? I think one of the biggest things is something we've mentioned before is just setting a consistent day to play. You go in on Tuesday, you know, you can get in a game of Malifaux is very different from having to like actively like plan out your schedule, call out to someone else in the group, set up a time and like a specific day to play against them. The more hurdles you can remove to getting in a game, the more games you're going to have, right? Mm-hmm. I think some other things that you can do and encourage is you can have like monthly events. Sometimes a tournament can be good or maybe just having a, like a little mini league where it's like, okay, you know, whoever gets like the most minion kills or whoever plays the most unique opponents this month, you know, will get like a free box or this free little trinket or doodad, some kind of end goal for people to work towards. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes you might just have to accept that there's going to be lulls, you know, like a lot of miniature game players play more than one game. Right. 
I, I guess in our local meta, you know, ninth edition of 40K just came out. There's a lot of people that normally play Malifaux, but now that there's all this hype behind playing 40K and they want to try, you know, get in some time, build the new models, paint a new army and play with the new rules. And that's going to necessarily take away time they have for other games like Malifaux. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, I think you just kind of have to ride it out. You should be available for games, try to keep those consistent game days, but just understand that not everyone is going to play Malifaux all the time. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree entirely. And I think if you've organized a meta, and if your meta has managed to be, you know, reasonably successful, right? And by, by which I mean, you know, there are consistently games and, you know, you've, you've grown to a, a decent size. It can be almost inevitable that you get some ego investment in the community, right? And so in a sense, I think it can be kind of natural, not not that they intend this in any sense, but I think it can be natural to feel like a sense of rejection when the people who, you know, used to come and play your game, uh, you now see at the store, but they're playing something else, right? But I think just, you have to understand it, it's not personal. It's just, uh, you know, people are, are, are playing what they're playing and that ultimately these lulls are probably healthy for the community, right? Because it gives people a chance to recharge, especially for a game like Malifaux. I, I, I'm not knocking 40K. 40K I, I get up fun playing 40K. But I don't play 40k to think, right? That's not my experience there. But the side effect of that is that playing 40k is far less mentally demanding than playing Malifaux. So, you know, I get something very different out of it. It's a very, you know, it's an easy kind of fun. And so, you know, after people have, have played that for a while, they might come back to Malifaux with recharged batteries. Yeah, I, I think it's an important thing to try and, you know, not attach yourself too personally to anything and you know there's just going to be some people that don't like Malifaux for whatever reason you know they maybe get a crew play a couple of games and they're just like this really isn't the game for me mm -hmm. uh, but I remember at the shop it's like we were discussing Malifaux and then before someone voiced their concerns they like turned to me it's like I just want to apologize in advance Colian like I was <laughs> like what like do I work for weird now like <laughs> is, is my is my name on the cover <laughs> <laughs> it's like i mean if you don't want to play malifaux it's like you don't have to apologize for yourself right i i don't feel like not liking a certain miniatures game is something you need to like write a thesis on and like support with a number of arguments to try and explain to the weird overlords why you don't <laughs> want to play their game you can't fight against preferences right yeah so i, I just thought about this because you know because of your anecdote does that experience change the way uh, you think you're seen at the store? Like, do you think you're like you're connected to Malifaux? Yeah, you know, that's that's how they think of you in the store. I think so. I, I I guess it's it's really hard to answer a question about how you're perceived by other people, but I do think people tie me pretty strongly for Malifaux since you know most of the days I'm in the store, I'm there for the Malifaux game days, and I'm playing Malifaux. But I mean, like one of the things that I actually enjoy about playing Malifaux or like I think like a fringe benefit is that it's actually made it easier to get into games like 40k again mm -hmm. so if 40k was actually the only miniatures game I think I probably would have stopped playing miniatures games just because I like kind of the tactical depth that you can go into Malifaux and I feel like how much control you have over the result of the game and like how much room there is for improvement from game to game Mm -hmm. but like like 
you said it's very mentally taxing i don't want to play malifo all the time it, right. it can be a very draining game so it's nice to have like a game like 40k where it's like all right i'll just move close and i'll roll a bunch of dice and i'll try and shoot you off the board and i'm not going to worry about like oh do i get the right suit do i have the correct amount of resources dedicated to this am i actually maximizing my units it's like okay my guys have guns uh-huh. they need to be in range to shoot those guns maximum efficiency <laughs> yeah i mean i i mentioned this because seeing it traumatized me but i was watching a game of 40k you know a while back and one of the players a tau player had deployed his entire army in a little in a little square in a little box like like you know kind of like an old english square that's used to to repulse cavalry way you know back in victorian times or whatever in in just one corner of the board and that's that's that was all of his models uh, except for like one little dude who flew around and i think he died pretty early i, I don't even know if he had a, a real purpose other than just you know something to mess around with and other than that the guy's army just sat in the corner and shot everything from it and i was like that's a game but you know thinking back yeah that's a game and that you can play and you can have fun and you can roll a bunch of dice and you can take model you know put models on the board and take them off and you're not really having to try to beautiful mind everything the way you have to agonize over some of these malifa decisions so yeah i guess i see the appeal since i'm joining the slow grow 40k league at the store oh you actually started painting one of your models unprecedented <laughs> i actually this i've repainted the base coat three times because i didn't like oh, how Jesus the highlights Christ. turned out but i'm liking how the highlights are turning out in this case so we'll see i'll, I'll bring the figure by uh next malifo day display it along inside your shed inside my shed <laughs> the um, jeff 2020 collection <laughs> So I guess maybe the, the last thing I want to hit on, which uh, maybe is a bit tangential, but I just kind of thought about it. And so I'd like to talk about it in terms of how it impacts the community. What do you think about tracking stats? Because, you know, we have just a, a great member of our local meta who took something that we were doing for, for just a, a monthly event that once the event ended, we just kind of kept tracking of habit, but we didn't have any plans for it. And then a new player joined us who knows how to take this data and makes it make it look super cool and just derive a lot of useful uh, statistics from it you know but what do you what do you think are the upsides of that what do you think or maybe any potential downsides you know what do you think about tracking tracking stats yeah interestingly enough or i guess maybe this was your intention but we did have this discussion in our meta once we realized it was possible to kind of like take all this data and pull meaningful information from it so i think by and far, everyone was in favor of continuing to track this kind of information just because we were interested to see, like, you know, what kind of data we could pull from it and if any of it would be useful. Mm-hmm. But one of the big points of contention was whether or not we should track individual player results and data for these casual games. Mm-hmm. Like, at a personal level, I, I guess I was kind of on both sides. Like, I didn't mind tracking that information and my information being public. Like at a personal level, I didn't mind, but for the community level, I kind of saw it as a negative because I didn't want people's casual play experiences to be influenced by the idea that the wins and losses are going to be tracked because I knew that's going to have an effect on your play style. Like you might 
not have people being as adventurous or trying as many weird things if they're like oh no now you know i'm just going to have like all these losses on my records and then everyone's going to view me as a terrible player and that's just going to be like enshrined (laughs) in this like little data collection spreadsheet we have for all time and like i didn't like the idea of that affecting people's play styles for what really should be just like a casual afternoon of Malifaux. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you. Uh, and I think, you know, the, kind of the compromise that the community eventually hit upon was that, you know, we wouldn't display those individual statistics. I, if someone really wants to go through the Excel sheet and do the math, they could do it. But, you know, the otherwise kind of the game data, right? Like the masters that were played, the schemes and the strats and, and you know, things like that. I'm, I'm glad we have that data available. It's, I mean, it's interesting, it's fun. It's also proven to be useful in another way in that, you know, we recently had a player join us who maybe didn't choose what master to play based on what they saw, but they narrow, they were able to narrow the options because they wanted to play a master that, you know, wasn't getting played out all the time. Mm-hmm. And so they were able to see like, oh, okay, these masters see more games than others. So I'm going to choose from, from, you know, kind of the, the more scarce masters. Yeah, like it's one of those things I think having the information available is nice. And honestly, on my mind, like worst comes to worst, if we decide it's an evil source and must be destroyed, like we can do that pretty easily. Right. Which, you know, again, I, I brought this up maybe maybe even twice now, but I, I just want to draw a line under it because on one level, it's like, okay, what do your stats matter in casual Malifaux in Los Angeles? Right. You know, in an existential sense, what does it matter? They're not important. You know, in, in 50 years, everyone at the store is going to be dead. In 5 billion years, you know, the, the sun's going to gonna grow to a, a red dwarf or a red giant, I forget which one, and then consume the earth, right? Like, in a very real sense, your stats shouldn't matter. And so purely, if we were all purely rational beings, you'd be like, oh, okay, I mean, who cares if people see my win and losses? But the reality is, as people, what we spend our time in matters, right? And, and we draw varying degrees of like emotional rewards from what we do it's entirely okay to to like the way you feel from playing Mal. like if you're good at malifaux i mean obviously don't be a dick about it but there's nothing wrong with actually feeling like oh well i mean you know i'm a good player i put in some work and and you derive a little bit of enjoyment from getting to practice that skill there's nothing wrong with that if you've made a community you know you established a meta and you've done it week in week out and now it's grown to like you know 10 people which is a pretty good for a weekly game thing and and you know some people maybe say good things about how you organized it's okay to feel to feel a sense of accomplishment from that but just understand at the same time like those emotional responses you you know the kind of the value you have in the game and and the extent that you care about the game or whatever those are your achilles heels heels that might also i guess generate what other people find to be uh, negative play like potential negative play experiences right so if you care about your record a lot and you're competitive now you don't think you're a dick you're just playing to win but maybe you know maybe you came across to another person as as just being kind of overly competitive or like that win at all cost guy and and so you know a lot of this is just about recognizing that gaming is a social activity you're interacting with other people and so just a little bit of empathy and self-awareness goes a long way, right? Yeah. And, you know, like a soap and a watch. <laughs> also, also always handy. All right. Well, you know, that was an hour and a half of us throwing shade at, at whole segments of the population. 
We know it wasn't necessarily directly related to Malifaux, but we think, you know, these are relevant, I think, to, to gaming in general. And if you wanted to elevate it to a higher level to where it's not really all that appropriate, all of human interaction. So that's what you get from our channel, you know, just the, the globally relevant. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please give us a like, a share, or a subscribe. Um, we would love to hear from you. We play here in Los Angeles, but we would like to be part of the local Malifaux community. Or sorry, the wider Malifaux community, rather. We're already part of the local community. So we would love to hear from other people and other players in other regions what they think. And if you'd like to support the channel in other ways, we have a PayPal and a Patreon. The links are going to be in the show notes. So that would also be super cool. And other than that, that's all from me. Is that all from you, Colgan? Yep, nothing more to add. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> yep, thank you. Good night. <laughs>